That went way smoother than I thought it would, just for the record. When I took the table off the stage earlier, I took the top off and it fell over. And so, sorry, just a little win in my life this morning, all right? Um, and so we're almost done uh, this morning with the book of Philippians as we've been walking through this letter from Paul to the Philippian church. In fact, we were supposed to be done this week. That's what I told you uh, last week. But in the, in the time of prepping this week and praying through this, uh, we decided to break it into this week and next week. There was just too much stuff in chapter four. And I really want us to sit together this morning in the first nine verses. And we'll finish up everything else in the letter next week. Um, a story's told of a man who looked out his window at the neighbor lady who was hanging the wash out on the clothesline. And he, he looked at his wife and said, boy, those, she needs to use some bleach or, or something on those wipes. Those things are, are filthy. And, and the following day, he noticed that she hung out more laundry. And he goes, boy, even the clothes aren't coming clean. Like, I don't know if she's using the wrong detergent or I can't figure out what's going on. And then the third day, and again, he notices the laundry doesn't look as clean. And he says to his wife, he goes, you know, I'd, I'd be embarrassed to have her do my laundry. I, I, I can't figure out what she's doing. And on the fourth day, he looked out the window and he was surprised to see how clean and how bright and uh, just how, how vibrant all of the laundry looked on the line. And he looked at his wife and said, boy, somebody must have finally taught them how to do laundry or Somebody must have switched detergents, and his wife looked at him and said, No, dear, I just washed our windows. <laughs> I tell you that story this morning to say this morning, uh, I think what God wants to do is wash our windows a little bit. Uh, Paul's coming to the close of this letter to the Philippians, and actually these first nine verses are really just a summary of everything we've looked at in the last six weeks. Uh, this is Paul's moment where he's getting to the ends of the letter and he wants to remind them of the most important things. Uh, this is the moment where Paul says, out of all the things you've been hearing, out of all the things I've said, here's the things that you need to remember, church. It, it's his make sure you stand strong and continue to grow piece of the letter. It's, it's a reminder. Um, it's a challenge. It's a charge. It's, it's a hopeful request. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. The sermon is actually going to be a little bit shorter this morning. No, I know nobody's complaining. And uh, we're going to sit in this text. I'm going to read the text uh, together with you in the first nine verses. And we're going to walk through some reminders that Paul gives us. This is our moment out of all the things hopefully God has been teaching us and convicting us of in the last few weeks. This is going to be our moment to be reminded of what Paul has told us. And so we're going to just walk through that real quickly, and then we're going to spend some significant time this morning at the end of the message in prayer together. Uh, so we'll wrap up the teaching portion, and then Dave will come, and he's going to lead us this morning in a significant time of guided prayer as we ask the Holy Spirit to remind us and to convict us of what he's been teaching us in the last six weeks. And so we're going to dive in this morning in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read the first nine verses all at once this morning, and this is our text for this morning. Paul says, My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I entreat Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So in these nine verses, what Paul is telling them is he says, all these things we've talked about, don't get lost in the weeds. Remember what, it, what I've taught you. Remember what we've been saying it means to live in Christ and for Christ. And the first thing Paul says is no surprise to us who have been following this the last six weeks. Paul simply says, get along. Paul again and again and again in this letter says, get along. This has been Paul's theme throughout the entire letter to this church, get along. Work together, be unified. And, and my favorite part of this text is, remember, when this letter is being read to the Philippian church, it's probably being read in its entirety. So when they're reading this to the Philippian church, they're not taking seven weeks to walk through a letter. Somebody gets up to the church and they're reading this all in one shot. And for the entire letter, it's been very generalized. Um, it's been speaking to the church as a whole. It's been speaking to the community. It's, it's been this moment of, hey, these, it's been very easy for the church to listen to this letter and go, boy, I'm really glad Paul said that because she really needs to hear this, right? It's been really easy to sit in the chairs in their worship gathering and go, oh, I'm, our church really needed this. Not me, but our church really needed. And in this moment, Paul calls out to women. Can you imagine? Like you're sitting there, you're almost to the end of the letter. You can see Paul shifting it in to the, to the end. He's landing the plane, and all of a sudden in the middle, you're just sitting there, and these two women, probably on opposite sides of the sanctuary, right? And all of a sudden, they're reading this letter, and he says, yeah, Eudea and Syntyche, you two, agree in the Lord. And like, I just picture these women sitting there the whole time going, oh, this is, what? He, he said, both of us. I mean, I, I figured he'd call out her. She's terrible. But, but he, he told both of us. And, and see, the problem with these two ladies and probably groups that followed them was not that they weren't involved in their church. It's not that they weren't invested in Christian community. In fact, the very fact that Paul mentions them and says they were laborers in the Lord probably means they were leaders in their Christian community. They were people who were serving and invested and involved. And Paul says that's not the problem. The problem is they were not united. And in calling out these two people who were influential in the church, Paul instantly tells us the person who divides your church could very easily be you. Paul says it's not this fringe person who shows up once on Christmas and Easter. Paul says, as followers of Jesus, we should all be concerned that we could be the dividing line in the church. Paul says, get along. That we are to be together. In Ephesians 4, Paul said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Paul reminds us as he wraps us up, he says, church, you have to get along. Then he goes on and he says, rejoice. In fact, it's so important that Paul says it twice. He says, rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. 
he, he reminds us over and over and over again in this letter that we are to be a celebratory people. Paul, Paul says the church, those who follow Jesus, like we should be celebrating all the time because of what we've been given in Jesus. He says rejoice. And again, let me tell you rejoice. Now remember, Paul's not writing this from a mountain retreat or he doesn't have his feet up in the sand on a beach, right? Paul's writing this from prison. Paul, better than anybody, understands that joy doesn't always match your circumstances. And Paul wants to remind us again at the end of this letter what his theme has been throughout. He says, our joy comes not from our circumstances around us, but from our relationship with Jesus within us. And Paul, over and over, says rejoice that as a Christian, my circumstances should not define my joy. Because this world is not my home. That's what Paul told us last week. And so my joy does not come from the things of this world. Uh, Bible commentator Tony Morita says it this way. He says, most people think you get joy when you get what you desire. Most people think real joy comes when you realize or you get what you want. But he said joy really comes when you realize what you actually deserve. This doesn't mean that we should always be skipping around and totally detached from the real world. It doesn't mean, he says, that we don't have problems and issues in our life. He says what Paul is teaching is that even in the midst of incredibly hard times, we can drink deeply from the well of salvation that produces joy in us in the midst of struggle. And Paul says, as he wraps this up, he says, you guys got to get along. He says, church, we should rejoice. We should be the most joy-filled people on the planet, so much so, like we said last week, that people look at us and go, man, you must not be from here. Paul goes on, and he says, the church has to let our reasonableness be known among the people. Uh, other translations, I, I like this word better, they, they say, let be known for your graciousness. Uh, uh, this word that's translated reasonableness or graciousness, or in other translations, gentleness, Honestly, it's not a real easy word to translate. There's not a good uh, English comparison to what it would say in the Greek. And the best translation is this idea of graciousness or a, a gentle forbearance of other people. Um, the idea is it's the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. And I don't know about you, but that's really convicting to me. <laughs> that Paul says we should be known for our graciousness. That people should look at me and you as a follower of Jesus and we should be known as the people in the room who are the least contentious. That when we're in a group of people or we're in a heated situation, when we're in a point that's stressful and arguing and we're the people in the room that should be calming it down. We're the people online that should be speaking truth gently. We're the people that should be known for letting the room back to, leading the room back to peace. Paul says Christians should be known for our graciousness. That's incredibly challenging to me, to be known for our graciousness, the opposite of being contentious. And Paul goes on and he says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And this is another one of those really famous stitch it on a, a cross stitch hanging on your wall phrases and verses out of Philippians. This is the one 
that we read all the time, right? When we worry or we stress, we tell the other person, well, well, Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And this word anxious is a Greek word, merimanao, and it literally means to be pulled in two different directions. And, and, and if you've ever been in that moment, right, we all know that. That's what worry and anxiousness does in us, right? It feels like somebody's like inside and pulling us in two different directions. It's this, this fear and this sense uh, of I don't know what's coming next. It's this idea of literally being pulled apart by the worries of the world. But notice the contrast in words that Paul uses here. Paul says, anxious about nothing, but praying about everything. Uh, the writer of Psalm 55 said, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Paul says, anxious about nothing, but praying about everything. Uh, Craig Rochelle tells the story of when the gospel first came to uh, an African village, some of the early converts became so passionate about praying that they built their own private prayer hut. And so they would have the place where they lived, but each person individually would have this small little prayer hut that was their own. And so they would walk back and forth daily to this prayer hut, and eventually it would wear uh, a path between where they slept and where they prayed so you could see this path in the dirt on the way where the grass had worn from all the time they walked back and forth. And he said if someone neglected this discipline of prayer in their life, he said grass would begin to grow between their house and the hut. And so he said when that would happen, one of their friends would have the courage to come over and sit down with their brother and sister in Christ, and they would say, I love you, but I see that the grass is growing on your path. In other words, I, I love you enough to notice that you're not spending time with God, and maybe that's what's changing how you live. I, I can see the grass is growing on your path. Sometimes I wonder if, if that's the first thing God would say to us if we'd listen when we worry. I wonder if that's the first thing that Jesus would say when we let the worries and the struggles and the troubles of this world consume us. I wonder if Jesus would look at me and go, hey man, there's grass growing on your path. I think maybe this morning some of us need to look at our prayer path. Maybe for some of us this morning we just need to build a prayer hut. But when worry and anxiousness consumes us, when the things of this world supersede the peace that comes from knowing Jesus, I would suggest that Paul's saying the first thing we need to look for is grass growing on the prayer path. And Paul tells us that when we pray, there is a peace that is unexplainable by the things of this world. Paul says there is no worldly or realistic explanation for the peace that comes through praying except that, that God provides it. Paul says when we pray, there will be a peace that, is, that defies explanation. He does not promise, nor does God, anywhere in Scripture, that he will change our circumstances. That is never promised. He certainly can, and he certainly does sometimes, but it is never promised that God will change the circumstances in our life. But what is promised is that he will change our hearts when we bring our circumstances to him. 
In fact, that word that Paul uses where he says, when you pray, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart, it's the word they literally used for guarding the, the, the castle. It's, it's used for a soldier or a garrison of soldiers who would stand guard at the door, not letting intruders in. I love that image. Paul says, when we pray, that the Holy Spirit will give us a peace that defies explanation and that it will guard our heart. It will literally be standing guard, preventing the intrusion of the things that were never meant to be there. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. Jesus said to his followers, As I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, what, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not this life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He said, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, Jesus said, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of those. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what am I going to eat or what am I going to drink or what am I going to wear? Do not be anxious about the things of this world. He says, for the Gentiles are people who don't know Jesus. They seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Jesus said, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own troubles. Jesus reminds us of what Paul is telling us in this letter. Jesus says, you don't be consumed with worry, because here's the deal. God provides. God provides for even the birds and the flowers. He will most certainly provide for us. Jesus says, don't be consumed by the worry of this world because the reality is worrying's pointless anyway, right? Like, I, I've never met someone who said, you know, life was really hard, and then I just decided I was going to sit down and worry about it for a couple hours, and I feel great, <laughs> right? Like, nobody does that, right? Like, I had this huge thing in my life, and I didn't know what to do, and so I just grabbed my wife, and I said, Megan, let's just sit and worry about it for a couple hours. And we got done worrying for a couple hours, and I, just, I had peace that defied explanation. Jesus says it's pointless. It never helps. Jesus says we can't be consumed by this because God knows our needs more than we do. And Jesus says God calls us to seek his kingdom first. And then it puts all the worries of this world in perspective. And that's what Paul wants the church to remember. Paul says get along with each other get along with each other rejoice in the midst of all circumstances let be known for how gracious you are to other people paul says don't be anxious about anything but pray about everything and paul ends this section of chapter four by reminding us to set our mind on christ think about godly things paul reminds the church that our strength isn't in how long we follow Jesus. It's not on how many times we go to church or how many missions trips we've been on. Those are all great things. But Paul says our strength is in our union with Christ. It's being rooted in Jesus. It's setting our mind on him. 
Paul goes on to list eight things in this verse. In verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything of excellent, anything worthy of praise. And what those eight things really are is Paul's just saying, just think about Jesus. Those are the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus is pure. Jesus is honorable. He is just. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. And he is worthy of praise. And Paul says, church, here's, here's how we're going to wrap this up. Just set your mind on him. Paul says it's very simple. Uh, godly thinking leads to godly living. And Paul says Jesus is who defines what that is, so set your mind on him. Paul says set your mind on Jesus. And as we think about these things this morning, Paul says remember that our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is our reconciler. He's our restorer. He's our savior. Paul reminds us that the salvation that we have in Jesus is what causes us to rejoice in all things. It's Jesus that removes our greatest fear because he is in control. It's Jesus that relieves our deepest anxiety because he is our hope. It is Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins, and so we are able to be gracious to other people. It's Jesus that gives us a new heart and a new mind, and it is Jesus who we must set our mind upon because it is Jesus who enables us to live in him and for him. Nothing more and nothing less. And it is Jesus who forgives when we don't. So this morning, in just a couple minutes, Dave is going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of prayer together. We're going to pray for God, for the Holy Spirit, to remind us of the things he's been teaching us in this letter. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to remind us and convict us of the things we need to do to live in and for Jesus. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in us better than we can work ourselves. We're going to pray for God to move and for us to recognize it. In 1940, Dr. J. Edwin Orr took a group of Wheaton College students to study abroad in England and one of their stops included a place called the Epworth Rectory. Uh, this rectory is now a museum, but it's, it's, uh, it was the home of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. John Wesley, who is one of my favorite evangelists in the history of the world. And in one of the bedrooms where John Wesley lived, there are two impressions right by the bed in the floor where it's believed that John Wesley regularly knelt in prayer. It's, it's two indentions where his knees were day after day. It literally sunk into the floor. And they went to get back on the bus, and Dr. Orr noticed that one of the students was missing. And so Dr. Orr walked back in, and he went upstairs, and in Wesley's bedroom, kneeling in those very impressions, was a man named Billy Graham. And Dr. Orr said he saw Graham kneeling in the same place that Wesley had kneeled so many years ago, and Billy was simply praying this simple prayer. Oh, Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, do it again. Journey, that's my prayer for us this morning.
that the Holy Spirit will come into our lives and remind us to do it again. God, do it again. What you did in us when we first came to you, Jesus, do it again. Jesus, in our church, do it again. In our community, do it again. In our world, do it again. Jesus, what you have done in here, do it again. So we invite you this morning as Dave comes to lead us, to be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to work in you this morning. We, we want to take some focused time here in our service uh, to pray. Now, this might seem um, awkward or unusual, uh, but this will be a guided time of prayer. Uh, we're going to have some bullet points up on the screen in just a moment that, that uh, I want to encourage you to focus on. Um, so we'll, we'll pray together corporately, but we'll also have uh, times of silence where I want to encourage you to pray about these, these areas that we'll be focusing on. So it's, the, the silence might feel awkward. It might feel like a really long time, but, but that's okay. I just want to give you time uh, for God to lead your heart in, in, in these areas of prayer. You know, scri Scripture speaks a lot about prayer from Old Testament to New Testament. In the book of First Chronicles, chapter 16, it says, Look to the Lord and His strength and seek His face always. And, and that's what we want to do for a short time here this morning. We want to seek God's face in prayer. And then in Romans chapter 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, we, we want to honor that scripture and be men and women of prayer. So this morning, we want to pray in three areas. One, we want to pray about prayer. And second, we're going to pray uh, for our church family. And third, uh, we want to pray about the gospel impact that we can have in this community and in this county. So the first area is prayer, that we can become prayer-centered as a church. In Psalm 119, it's, that's a psalm that's all about the Word of God, but in the very last stanza of Psalm 119, the author just cries out. He says, May my cry come before the Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication or, or my prayers come before you and deliver me according to your promise. And he goes on just to, just to reveal his heart and passion for God, for his word, and for prayer. So this morning, take a couple minutes, now silently, and pray for those bullet points that are on the screen. That, that God would make us as a church family, a people of prayer. But more than that, that prayer itself will become the first thing that we turn to, our first habit, and not an added on second, third, or, or later on, it's like, oh yeah, I, I should have prayed. But let's pray about this for the next couple moments, that God will make us a people of prayer, and that prayer becomes our habit first and foremost. Let's go to God in prayer.
Father, I, I pray for our church family that we become a people known for prayer. And I, I pray for every person in the room here this morning that, that prayer becomes the first habit that we turn to. Instead of anxiety, instead of worry, instead of fear, Lord, uh, make us a people of prayer. Give us a heart for prayer, a desire to just uh, have that intimate relationship with you. So, Lord, do that work in us today. We ask this in your name. The second area of prayer that we want to focus on is simply for our, our church family. You know, um, this church has gone through a, a period of transition with Tory Reynolds leaving, but myself coming. Uh, there's just been, been a lot of change. Um, so I want to ask you to pray for a clear vision and direction for the church and just pray, pray for the staff and volunteers that really um, make the ministry happen. In Colossians chapter 4, the apostle Paul asked for this very kind of thing. He says, he says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. He's talking about Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, the church leaders. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message, that we may, may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So I want to, let's take some time now and just pray for this church family. Pray that, that we can proclaim the gospel message clearly. And just that, that when we do so, people see Jesus in us. Let's pray around this prayer point this morning. Father, we do pray for the Journey Church family here. Uh, we, we pray that as this church continues to move ahead in ministry, uh, give us clarity, give us uh, wisdom, and give us clear vision on how uh, you desire us, uh, how you desire this church to move forward. So thank you, Lord, for uh, using us as your servants here. We ask you in your name. The third area that we want to focus on is uh, pray 
praying for a gospel impact in our community and in our county. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's addressing some of the, some of the division or disunity that's among the church, and there, and there were sides being taken place saying, oh, this, you know, Apollos is greater, or Paul is greater, and there was some division going on. And Paul just reminds us, he said, it's not about, you know, this person or that person. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God makes things grow. And we are co-workers in God's service. So for this last bullet point here this morning, I just want to pray that, that we focus on just being kingdom-minded people. You know, we're not building a, a Journey Christian Church kingdom. Uh, we we want to think beyond our walls. We want to think about ministry uh, in our community, uh, in the county. Uh, we just want to be praying that Jesus can change lives, um, you know, wherever we are at, in your workplace, with your families, uh, with those in this, in this church building and those without. So let's pray for a gospel impact in our community. Uh, Heavenly Father, we know it's not about us. It's, it's not about building our own personal kingdom. It's all about you. So, Father, we, we pray that your impact goes beyond these walls, that, that it goes beyond uh, who we are, and that we can just continue to point people to you. So, Lord, as, as the worship team comes, comes back up this morning, um, Lord, I just want to en encourage us as a church family that, that we make prayer our priority. You know, it's one thing to preach about it on Sunday, but it's, it's another to live that out during the week. So a, as we go through this summer, um, a, as we step into the next sermon series, Lord, just continue to stir in us that passion and desire for prayer. Lord, do that work in us and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.